talking crime, cases, and backing the blue. Now, here are your hosts, Captain Ed Mamet and Detective Kevin Schroeder. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Cop Talk. This is uh, retired Captain Edward Mamet, New York City Police Department, your co-host. Our host, retired first grade detective Kevin Schroeder, is out in the field somewhere, but he's going to call in and uh, he will be very much a part of the program. Today we have a most interesting guest. His name is Scott Lebedo, and he's one of America's most patriotic artists. He's uh, been called the Irving Berlin with a paintbrush. He's a fierce supporter of law enforcement. And in fact, our former mayor, mayor, I hate to use that word, mayor, a legend. <laughs> good, good. Just, that's <laughs> the Blasio, he took legal action against Scott to stop him from painting um, a blue line in support of the police during the BLM uh, protest. Even though, um, you know, that alleged mayor, he painted uh, Black Lives Matter in front of Trump Towers. Um, nobody bothered him. Scott uh, has one of the world's... Uh, Painted one of the world's largest stars in stripe, 150,000 square feet requiring 900 gallons of paint. Man, that must have been expensive. So anyway, I'm going to introduce uh, Scott. Scott, say hello. How you doing, folks? Uh, Kevin, somewhere out there? My name is Kevin Schroeder, retired NYPD detective. And unfortunately, I can't be in the studio today because a first grade detective, John Moglia, is retiring today after 27 years of service. And he'll be walking out today from the Manhattan DA's office. So I wish John... Mobley, all the all the luck in the world. Much respect. Much um, respect. Scott, welcome. Uh, Scott, America needs more people like you. How do we How do we do this? How do we get How do we call? How do we get more guys like you out there? Also, tell me about your background. Where you born, raised, uh, where you've been, what you're doing, and 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 your vision for uh, law enforcement in the future. I, I, I've been an artist my whole life, uh, patriotic artist for the last 35, 40 years. And uh, I've also been an activist, a pro-American, pro-community activist. Um, and my whole plan all these years was to get people to not do exactly what I do. Because if you know me, if everybody out there knows me, I've been arrested many times, you know, being that, you know, visually stimulating activist to get the attention of the people you know, to say, hey, look, you know, 30 years from now, we're going to be in the shitter. And here we are in the shitter. Uh, but the beauty is, is that people have been starting to follow my, I don't know if I want to say lead, but my example, you know, to get out there and fight and use that sexy beast called Ameri um, uh, uh, Amendment 1 to get out there. That is your job as a citizen of the United States to peacefully assemble and to use your words angrily and fight for what you know is destroying this community, not only this country, but your city. I mean, I'm a New Yorker. We're New Yorkers. We're all New Yorkers here in the studio. And uh, we see what's happening to this city, this once great city, this the center of the universe, New York City. And it has become a shithole because of the policies of, sorry to be political, but the you know, progressive democratic, you know, policies. Um, so it is nice to see people finally out in the street. When I say people, I don't mean these young punks. I don't mean BLM. I don't mean Antifa. I don't mean these purple head, you know, spoiled, rotten, trophy-getting college students who think they know what they're fighting for, but they're being told by their peers or their professors, this is what you do. But I'm talking about finally the working people. 
the people that take, pay the taxes, the cops, the firemen, the sanitation workers, grandmothers, great grandmothers, finally out in the street fighting for their lives, pretty much. And I think I, I will pat myself on the back for promoting that and educating people to do that over the last 30 years of my activist career. Scott, uh, how did you become an activist? Uh, how did you become an artist? And uh, when did you combine the two? That's a good question. Uh, like I said earlier, I've always been an artist since childhood. And then, you know, I, weird stuff. I was always into fantasy and uh, macabre, surreal stuff. And then I went to go find my calling in Manhattan. Now, if you know Staten Island, folks, Staten Island is part of the biggest liberal city in America. But Staten Island is also that little hardworking, civil servant, patriotic, veterans community that is in West Virginia, Butte, Montana. That's what separates Staten Island from any other borough in the city. And here's this little artist, me, going into the big art world in Manhattan. And if you could make it in Manhattan, you could make it anywhere. So I go off to Manhattan to find my calling, my niche. Where do I fit in? And I notice the insane, heartbreaking amount of America-hating art organizations. The art community, the art organization is supposed to be the most open-minded and tolerant. Now, you guys aren't artists. I am. But that's what they tell you as an artist when you're growing up. Open-minded, tolerant. And now I go into this art world in Manhattan, and there's an American flag on the floor of the gallery where I have to wipe my feet to walk in. And it blew my mind that the creative people, now hear me out here, the creative community, which has more freedoms than anybody else. We, us artists, have more rights to express and go over the top with that First Amendment. Therefore, we should be the most patriotic. But it was the opposite. 99% of the art community hated America, hated the flag, hated our military, hated the police. And I said, F this. I want no part of this. And that was back in the early 90s, and that's where I found my calling. I said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to paint that flag for the rest of my life on buildings, on cars, on canvases, and I'm going to promote the greatness about this country and what the freedoms we have. And the art world destroyed me. But here I am 30 years later. I'm pretty famous. I don't need them. <laughs> the hell with them. Yeah, I like it. I like it, Scott. Scott, uh Tell us, uh, tell our audience some highlights of your career. The 50 state tours, I, I did three of them in 2006, 2011, 2015. Uh, uh, I just took my truck, big old beat up Chevy Suburban, loaded it with paint and drove through every state for 10 months and found a rooftop in the state where I could paint a flag and just moved around and just. And most of the places that I did this, I picked, tried to pick places that were close or in a military area. And it was to show, you know, 2006, when I first started this, that's when we were really deep in the war in Afghanistan and Iraq. And we had troops going and troops coming home. So it was always near a military base where they could fly in and see it. And the flag would say, welcome home. And if they were flying out, it would say, Godspeed, you know, do what you got to do, kick ass, be safe and get back. And uh, that was one of my favorite things. And I did that three times. And then the biggest flag in the world I painted uh, back in 2010. It's 150,000 square feet on a warehouse rooftop in Texas. Um, and that was uh, pretty, uh, pretty powerful. 
But there's been so many things. I mean, uh, I got a movie coming out, a documentary about my my 35 year career of not only my patriot patriotic artwork, my support for the uh, law enforcement, uh, but my flags and my activism, and that'll be out in uh, January, February. Uh, so it'll be interesting. It's a very col- colorful, very colorful, colorful right. meaning. It's raw. It's in your face. It's real. It's 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 awesome. It's awesome. I was going to ask. I was going to ask you about the documentary, but I want to bring one point. You remind me of my my cousin David, David Mamet, the playwright. We had him on the show, and like you, he was he's been ostracized in Hollywood because he became a conservative, and he behaves somewhat like you. And meanwhile, he's very famous and he's done very well. So it shows that you can split off from the main group and you know open your mouth and still be successful. And that's what I think. You know, the execution of my work is not what makes me a great artist. And I say that not humbly. I don't say that narcissistically. What makes me a great artist and what makes your cousin a great playwright is that we didn't follow. You know, you're supposed to be the unique individual. That's what you're taught. You know, like Christo, the guy that put Christ in urine. Remember back in the 70s, 80s? And he became world famous because he was the outsider in the art world. I am the biggest outsider in the art world, and they neglected me. See, you see the hypocrisy, and that's what, and I said, I, I, my father taught me, my parents taught me, do what you believe in your heart. Don't give a shit about anybody else. And I ate shit. I honestly, I ate shit, and I had a rough life. But Sylvester Stallone said it best. Somebody asked him what was the best part of your career, and he said, living in my car, knowing that I was, that I was going to do it, you know, and... That's what makes me a great artist is that I stayed true to myself. I didn't succumb to the money or the prestige when I could have. I could be a million. I, I could be on a, 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 a yacht in Capri right now with 20 hot, beautiful models pouring champagne down my throat instead of being in the city a studio sitting here with a couple of old retired cops. You know what I'm saying? But I made that choice. Easy is for punks. Anybody could do that. That's you jump on a bandwagon. You see it all the time. If you follow our direction, our political ideology, our our elitist ways, we will make you a star. What is that? What is that? What is that? Is not a human being. That's not. I I love the sacrifices that I make, and I still make today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, recently, uh, you and Curtis uh, Sliwa, who was part of this radio station, uh, led protests on Staten Island against the illegals uh, moving in there. Uh, what's happening out there with the um, with the shelters? It's uh, it's such a, a horrible situation. What's going on? I mean, it's it's a whole another six hour show we could talk about, but I'll try to just break it down simply. Number one, it, you you close the effing borders. Period. That's number one. And to watch this administration keep those borders open, it's it kind of makes you feel like, uh, am I the conspiracy tinfoil hat guy? Where oh my god, they're doing this on purpose. But if you just look at it, how can they not be doing it on purpose? It is only here to destroy the communities and the working families and the beauty of this country. And I'm not 
it doesn't affect me that what people call me racists, homophobic, whatever it is. I get it all the time. Uh, I, you know, immigrant hater and stuff like I we're from immigrants. That's what makes this country great. Matter of fact, the flag is the number one thing I paint. And I paint that because to me, the American flag is the most beautiful work of art in the history of civilization, the most important work, work of art. And why? Because the French flag is beautiful. It represents the French people. The German flag is beautiful. It represents the Germans, the Indian flag, the Italian, and so on across the world. But there is only one flag, one work of art, one image that represents every organic culture from every corner of this earth, and that is only the American flag. It is the most beautiful humanitarian thing. Look, America, if we were perfect, we wouldn't be. What makes us perfect is that we're so young and we thrive to be perfect. We're not perfect, but we are the best there is. And that flag that I paint every day represents the beauty of the immigration unit that creates this country and this city. But, and I will say but, and I will say hard but, we are a free nation, but we are a nation of fucking laws. And this system has been busted. This is busted so bad. And to bring these illegal immigrants. Now, I'm not talking about the women and children that you see on MSN, the, the mainstream media. They show you the mother carrying the baby through the river like a dramatic scene from the Titanic when 90% of them are young, military age, adult males. Hang on, folks, who have not been vetted for nothing, for anything, for viruses, diseases, rapes, murder, terrorism, terrorism. Do you understand? And to bring these people into a community like St. John's Villa, where they put them into this working class community, 50 feet across the street from a school where kindergarten to 12th grade young girls go to is unfathomable. And we made a stand and we won. It took us weeks, but we finally won and they are out of there. Uh, you know, earlier we were talking about the police presence over there. Now, since this program is devoted mainly to uh, to the law enforcement community, you were telling me about some tension that has been created between the working class people out there and the police. Can you explain that to the audience? Yeah. You know, again, I, I've been arrested many times over the last 30 years. And the key is I have once, you know, I know I'm stepping over that line. That's the difference between me and Curtis and these young kids today that, you know, they get arrested, they resist, they spit, they sue, they beat, they burn. I've been arrested more times than any of these kids. And so is Curtis. And anytime I knew I stepped over that line, I knew I was going to get a collar and I wanted the collar to bring attention to my cause as most people do. And when those cops approached me, I put my hands behind my back Yes, sir. No, sir. Absolutely. And I followed the protocol. I never resisted. I never sued. Even if a cop roughed me up a little more, maybe he was having a bad day. I know that I put myself in that predicament. There's a line. There is a line in this country. You step over that small line in other parts of the world, you get your head cut off by the judge. But in here, you get a tri fair trial, you know, due process. And I knew I stepped over that line. So I knew whatever was coming my way, I deserved it because I was stepping over that line. And to watch these kids and to see, and now you all know about this, the BLM, the Antifa rioters from in the 2020 when George Floyd, they destroyed cop cars, burnt down buildings, property, beat people, murdered people. They are getting paid. 
$40,000 each. $44 million was allocated to pay these protesters that destroyed, violently assaulted people. This blows my fucking mind, and it should blow every, blows everybody's mind. Getting to the point in the question you just asked, sir, watching this process of protesting and getting arrested for my whole career, and now we have a unique group of people protesting, and that is the working class, who never came out. Now, I call and I blame a lot of them for the problems we have because of their complacency. And they didn't speak up. And now these people are speaking up and they're out in the street and they're protesting for the first time. They're not professional at it. So they're, you know, they're wet behind the ears per se. And then you have the police department, especially in a community like Staten Island, who's not used to BLM riots and Antifa because they know better than to come over here and fuck with us in Staten Island. We don't take that shit. Excuse my language, but (laughs) that's what it is. Um, And then you have the police department who is used to BLM, Antifa, these little purple head, you know, let me glue my hand down, save the yellow-bellied sapsucker, you know, environment and maniacs that just go over the top. But they, the, 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 the NYPD was not used to seeing these great-grandmothers, grandmothers, children, mothers, civil servants coming out and protesting. I wouldn't even use the word protesting. I'm going to say fighting for their whole lives, for their communities. The house that they worked so hard for, the overtime they put in, you know, the the stress and hard work and to get their kids to that beautiful school. And then to have these illegal aliens, say it what it is, illegal aliens, young men who are not vetted for anything to be plopped into their communities. Oh, hell is going to raise. And these people are raising hell. So the NYPD does not know how to handle You know, I'm not knocking them. I'm saying they're not used to, you know, grandmothers rallying and protesting. So there's a little bit. And I'm not a lot of these rallies. So I know how to work with because I, you know, I worship the I worship the blue and I also worship the people in my community. So we need to figure that out. And I'd like to take this opportunity to call on, you know. The the higher ups, you know, the blues are doing what they have to do because they're being told. And I know the white shirts are being told what they have to be told. And I know it comes down from this. I'm going to it's we're on the air, so I'm not going to say what I want to say about this mayor, but he's making this call. And it's horrifying to see that these violent protesters, BLM, Antifa getting away with all sorts of things. And then for the mayor to tell the white shirts to tell the blue shirts to, you know, oh, tell that little old lady she can't have that sign up at the protest at the thing. And it's like we got to we got to balance this out because there's no violence. Right. And that's what I preached my whole life as an activist. We don't need to use amendment two. We don't need to use violence. We don't need to be BLM and Antifa and throw and burn cop cars or throw an egg or anything. We need to be, use our first amendment peacefully. And it's worked. We closed down three places and the world was watching Staten Island, the whole world. How did you do it? How did you do it? Follow us. Just follow us. Just get in the streets peacefully. Be loud as hell. Be loud and passionate. So I do hope that they do work together because I know it's a new policy for both people because the other thing is, and this is the most important thing is, you know, I've been a big proponent and a big carrier of the message to support the blue when, you know, once they started to defund them a couple of years ago and abusing them and humiliating them and it broke my heart and I just started getting people out there in droves like this is what it is. So the people that 
the last group of people that the cops have as their support and there's a little bit of friction that's, you know, it's something has to be worked out. I don't know exactly how, but well, people just need to well, think about that. Well, that's where, uh, right. uh, that, excuse me, I just want to make one point. That's where the community affairs unit should be involved. Every precinct has a community affairs officer. Every borough has a community affairs unit. And if they're doing their job, they should be the ones that <clears throat> bring your message across that the, the touch should be softer with these people because they're ordinary working people. Yeah, I, I mean, I always said it. I, 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 I tell you all the time, if it's, even if it's my brother and he comes over and he slaps a cop or touches a cop or something, I'm like, you open that stick on his head. <laughs> Old school. I'd, absolutely. Even if it's me. If I, you, I'm waiting on you, that's how, that's the way it's supposed to be done. You know, right, that's Ke the way it's supposed to be done. Hey, but Scott. Kevin has a question for you. Scott, that brings you to my next question. Tell us about the thin blue line, the de Blasio cease and desist. Tell, yeah, tell that's, about that. that was another worldwide story. You know, every once in a while I do one of my activist stunts and it goes worldwide. Uh, like when I went up against D.A. Braggs, <laughs> um, got arrested in front of his office, pulling, pointing him out. Another reason this city's in a shithole. Um, yeah, the thin blue line. It was back again when uh, the BLM was going on. You know, and de Blasio was the leader of the BLM murals in the streets. Now, I, you know, honestly, I'm an artist. I like street art. I like and I thought it was actually kind of cool to do these giant, you know, murals in the street. The message was a different story, but uh, the concept was pretty cool, again, as an artist. But um, this piece of garbage, Mayor de Blasio, did not have a permit. You need a permit to do this. I know this. I'm an artist. So he didn't have a permit. Okay. Well, the cops are being humiliated, demoralized and abused. And it breaks my heart because I have a lot of friends and family that are police officers. And I know that they are human beings. I know that some of them have issues that whether it's their wife cheating on them and they're, you know, they're psychologically depressed or their kids, a drug addict or uh, their father's dying of cancer, you know, they're human beings. And that's what I like to portray to these other people who think cops are just these, you know, brown shirt Gestapo's going around looking to be people. They're human effing beings. They have lives. They have um, emotions. And so I, I know that, and that's why I've always supported them. And I was like, okay, this is the worst that it's been with these with this police department, and it's it's breaking my heart. I, I know the pain that they're going through. So I painted this 1,000-foot blue line right down the middle of Highland Boulevard, which is the main road in uh, Staten Island in front of the one to two precinct. And uh, two days later, I get a letter from the city to cease and desist to take that blue line down or I will be jailed and fined. And I went on social media and I said, uh, here's the letter. Cease and desist. Take this down. And I said, May de Blasio, take this letter and stick it up your ass. <laughs> and that uh, blew up even uh, more. And then uh, two days later, he came out publicly and he said, I didn't have a permit for the Black Lives Matter, so I didn't need a permit. And that blue line is still going down Highland Boulevard. And as soon as the weather breaks, I'm going to, looks beautiful, but I'm going to touch it up again and make it brighter and more brilliant. Yeah. And it'll be there till the day I die. You used it to, um, <clears throat> to raise money for New York City cops and kids. Uh, and a boxing club. Tell us about that. Yeah, uh, the letter, actually. I took it, I blew it up uh, like three by four feet, and then I painted a picture of me 
uh, rolling over the letter, rolling a blue line. And and it was cool. It was really cool. And I posted it and I said, eh, this is for sale. The money, whatever money's raised will go to Cops and Kids, uh, which is a great organization, a little boxing, getting kids off the street to, you know, toughen up and uh, learn about discipline and learn about, you know, learn about life. And, you know, and it's a great club. I, I love working with them. I've done some other stuff with them, too. Yeah, they raised about seven, eight thousand from just that painting of the letter. Uh, so good comes always, uh, always good comes out of ugly things. Scott, uh, Pat Russo, does he run that club? Yeah, yes. Pat Russo, yeah, good man. Pat oh, Russo. God, he's yes, a great yes, man. Yes. Great man. Uh, Scott, uh, what's your take on New York City crime, the quality of life today? You know, crime today and the quality of life, what's your take on it? Oh, what's my take on it? It's, it's, it's what it is, man. It's as simple as it is. Again, i, I got to get to the po- politics of it. It's very simple. It's political. You know, I'm done. I'm, I'm really tired of blaming the woke-ass progressive criminal loving politicians. It's now after de Blasio and then they vote in for another guy just like de Blasio. I'm not blaming these politicians anymore. It's time to blame the idiots in this city, the ignorant effing fools of this once great city that keep voting for the same policies. This guy lives on the Upper West Side. He's got a $20 million brownstone that he now knows is worth $5 million because of the crime, the drugs, the the, the homeless that are in this, the, 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 the violent crime in, the, in this community. And these stupid assholes keep voting for these assholes right. that diminish the quality of the Democrats' lives. It doesn't affect just us conservatives. It affects the Democrats. It Crime has no, you know, it's, it's it, 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 even, you know, and I always reach out to the black community. People call me racist. I don't care. I know I'm not a racist. Why is the black community constantly voting for the same Democratic politicians for 70 effing years and they are still in the same situation? That blows my mind because the crime in the city, yeah, it affects us people in the middle class and the upper class, but it affects the people in the lower class and, the, you know, the, the, the city, the, the poor communities more than anyone else. And these people just never get out of that system. And I think I see it turning a little bit from the black community, the minority community. And I hope it does, because we have to stop voting for this. It's that simple. We had Giuliani that came in and cleaned it up after uh, Dinkins. And look what happened. It was it was priceless. It was beautiful. The city was great. It's so easy to fix. It's easy to fix. And then the cops need to get back. They need to take the, the city needs to take the handcuffs off of the police department so they could do the job that they're supposed to do. That's it. Cops don't want to. I know cops don't want to do their job. How could they? The cameras are on. God forbid one little purple head squirmy worm will be like, oh, the cop touched me. Twenty million dollars, your honor. Of course, I don't want the cop. To, I don't want the cop touching him and losing his job. Yeah. You know, we have to revive law enforcement in not only in New York City, but also nationwide. I mean, you know, we, we got to get this going. We got to really revive law enforcement. Uh, how do we do this? I mean, what's your opinion on that? It's the same thing. It's well, you have to vote for the right people. We're voting. Everybody keeps voting for the leniency. And that's it. And you're going to get, it's, it's like to demoralize the police department. They need to, and all these new guys getting on a job, young ladies and girls that I know getting on a job and I'm going to listen to me. You're going to eat shit for a little while, but I guarantee you, trust me, I know this business in three or four or five years, you'll be back on the pedestal. You will, and they will. And the cops will come back to that hero status, that status that they're supposed to be in. Yeah. Yeah, it has to. Can't go, can't go uh, get any worse. It's got to get better. Uh, Captain? Well, that's what happened after 9-11. After 9-11, the police were the heroes, and I told everybody, yeah, let's see how long it lasts. 
Yeah. So yeah. it didn't last that long. <laughs> nope. Went back to where it always was. Uh, Scott, as a prominent uh, citizen activist, how can the uh, general public uh, back the police more? What would you suggest? Well, it's hard to say because you have the people that I know that back the police. And then there's the people that I know that don't back the police. And how do you change them? How do you get them to do that? There's some people that you'll never change their mind. It's like what's going on in the world right now. Quick example. This president, you know, I'm sorry if I'm getting political here. This current president has destroyed everything that he's touched. We are in World War III. We're in it. I don't care what you think. We're in it. It's coming. And these borders that are open are bringing this stuff to our, com our community. You don't think terrorists are here right now to destroy this country. They're here. And people, you better be prepared to hit the, the shit is going to hit the fan. So, unfortunately, it takes compliance. People need to be hurt. People need to be robbed. Uh, people need to be beaten. Somebody needs to be murdered in their family for them to understand what the police department really means. What uh, anything of, uh, you know safety uh, or authority really means and the necessity of it. There's always going to be a bad cop. There's always going to be a bad doctor. There's always going to be a bad artist. It's the nature of humanity. You know, we're not a racist, systemically racist community. We're not a systemically homophobic community. Yes, they will always be homophobes. They will always be racist and bigots. That is the nature of humanity. But it is a fraction, a, a fraction of what everyone thinks that it is. And that also pertains to the whole police department, too. So people just need to, unfortunately, have something happen to them in order to say, you know what? Yeah, we need to back the police. Well, Scott, you've been a great uh, interviewee. And since you're such a world-famous artist, how do people contact you to uh, view your work? Do I don't want anybody contacting me. Well, do you have a website? <laughs> yes, have a my website, website uh, is uh, scottlobato.com. <laughs> Uh, and you can actually see the trailer for my documentary, which uh, is, again, a big part of the documentary is the support and the, about the police department and, you know, how I feel about them. So anyway, yeah, you can see that scottlobato.com uh, and also follow me on Instagram and Twitter. You know, Scott Lobato. Uh, I rant and post every day and it's interesting stuff, but just have an open mind. And uh, my verbiage is a lot uh, more flavorful than it is today, even though I got a couple of F-bombs out today. <laughs> one, uh, one question I wanted to ask you, how much did the 900 gallons of paint cost and who paid for it? Uh, the company that hired me paid for it. I didn't make much money off of that. It was just, excuse me, uh, that I had the prestige to paint the, one of the world's biggest flags. So they covered all the costs on that. Do you have any idea how much it cost? Because paint 900 be gallons of paint, figure it's 40, uh, that paint, it was 50, 50 gallons, uh, $50 a gallon. I mean, plus rollers and trays and, you know, how to hire some people. Uh, it, uh, it probably cost them about $35,000 for everything, permits and, and whatnot. But it, I didn't care. I didn't make much. I made a couple of bucks. I didn't care. I got to paint. I got to do what I do. Painting the greatest work of art, which is the American flag, on the biggest scale. All right. With that, uh, we're going to sign off. Kevin, you can... Uh... Yeah, Scott. Everyone, Scott Lebedo. Thank you, Scott, for being on the show. You're a great guest. Keep doing what you're doing. You're doing great work. Um, I'd like to thank everyone for listening to another episode of Cop Talk. Uh, if you like what you hear, please subscribe. You could also follow us on Twitter, at Cop Talk WABC. That's at Cop Talk WABC. Until next time, God bless America and stay safe. Thank you.